0: If God is love, if God is kind, if God is merciful, if God is gracious, how could he, would he, or even should he send people to a place of a perpetual, eternal torment? It doesn't seem like a thing God would do. Or the one way one scholar said it is, how can we harmonize God's mercy and grace and character of love while at the same time his willingness to torture souls for all eternity? How do we harmonize that? In some ways, it's almost just easier to skip it, isn't it? Just kind of skip right over hell. And we do this a lot, especially in our postmodern culture. Maybe if you grew up in a Southern, I'm going to say Southern Baptist at the risk of being um, just stereotypical, but if you grew up in a Southern Baptist type of church where it was fire and brimstone every week, I went to a youth group where they threw a Barbie doll on a campfire and said, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't come to Jesus. And a lot of kids came to Jesus um, that <laughs> night. Um <laughs> If you grew up in an environment like that, you you, you kind of get repulsed by those things, and you start to kind of just skip right over the hell conversation. And a lot of people, a lot of pastors today, skip over hell. Um, in fact, USA Today in 2009 did a piece on pastors who are reluctant to preach on hell. And and one of the people that the the article interviewed said this: the soft sell on hell reflects an increasingly market conscious approach. When you're trying to market Jesus. Sometimes there's a tendency to mute traditional Christian symbols, like hell. People wonder why God would send people to eternal punishment. So here's a pastor being completely honest. Look, we're trying to market Jesus in a world that hates hell, so we can t- tend to mute it. We believe it, but we, we definitely will mute it. I would, I would say that I feel the same pressure as a pastor. Um, it's not something that I'm going to lead with. It's not something I want to end with either, to be honest with you. um. How many of you have been to a funeral, speaking of skipping it, where the pastor is talking about hell a lot? <laughs> have you ever been to a funeral like that? You don't talk about hell at a funeral. You just don't. You say things like, well, he's in a better place, <laughs> or she was a good mother. She, 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 he was a good man. All along, I wonder how many of the people in the room are thinking what I'm thinking, which is, but if he's not a believer, which from what I gather he's not, He's not in a better place, and it doesn't matter how good of a man he was. Well, Americans, statistics have come out, about 58% of Americans actually believe that hell is real. I thought that was an alarming statistic, actually. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I was a little strange. It was a little, I thought it was high. Um, 58% of Americans believe in a literal hell. But what's ironic in that same study, only 1% believe that they're going to go there. <laughs> Speaking of ignoring it. <laughs> Yeah, I believe in hell. It's a place for people to go and get punished, but I'm not going there. And, and, and I started thinking about that, and I thought, well, shoot, I don't think I'm going to hell either. And I wonder how many of you in this room think you're not going to hell. I, I do not think I'm going to hell. People have told me I should go there, but I don't think that's what they meant by it. <laughs> Another study said this. 77% of Americans said that their chances are high to good that they are going to heaven. So 77% of Americans believe that chances are high to good that they're going to heaven. But get this, 6% of Americans said their chances are high that they're going to hell. And I got to thinking about that. 6% of America? How many thousands of people is that who say, yeah, chances are pretty good. I'm going there. People do talk like that, though, don't they? I'll see you in hell or, you know, I'm already going to burn in hell. I'm not afraid to burn on earth or something like that. We say funny things like that, but maybe people really do believe it. Well, this is a really, really difficult subject. It's hard to swallow, isn't it? It's hard to swallow this place called hell. No one wants to go there. No one wants to talk about it. No one thinks they're going there. Well, I want to just share a couple of questions from normal people like you and me when it comes to hell, just to kind of get the ball rolling. Uh, the, the main question that you hear is, could or would or should a loving God send people to hell? Those are all three different questions, by the way. They can be answered in different ways. Um, here's a question from the, the Reason for God that Keller wrote uh, from a New Yorker. He says, I doubt the existence of a judgmental God who requires blood to pacify his wrath. Someone had to die before a Christian God would pardon us, but why can't he just forgive us? It's an interesting question. Interesting question. Another guy said, the only God that is believable to me is a God of love. The Bible's God is no more than a primitive deity who must be appeased with pain and suffering. Blood. Here's an anonymous church member said this, I find it hard to believe that a 50 to 70-year life of sin warrants an eternity of punishment. In other words, the punishment seems to be greater than the crime, a lot greater than the crime. You sinned for 50 years, and now you're going to have to rot for eternity? just seems wrong. Um, Here's another good question. How could anyone experience joy in heaven while knowing that their loved ones are burning for eternity in hell? Uh, We're in heaven, and that's supposed to be a place of ultimate joy, but at the same time, we have dear loved ones who are... On fire. This question is, how could, we, how could we experience the joy if we are worried about that? Here's a really interesting one. A, a concerned blogger um, said, I'm debating not having children because I'm afraid that they'll end up in hell. It seems more compassionate to not even bring them into being. He, he, in this article, he was saying it seems as if um, the Bible is suggesting that most people go to hell. <laughs> Narrow is the road that leads to life. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. So if that's the case, then maybe you would be better off not even to have children because the more people you bring into the world, the more people are going to fill that place called hell. So as you can see, this is a difficult question. when We cannot give a 50-cent answer, Right. These are $50,000 questions. How can this be true? Is hell eternal? Is hell for real? What is up with that? How can a good and loving and gracious and merciful and kind God allow people to burn and fry forever? Well, because this is such a big question, I want to dive into discussion early in the game. So here's the discussion question. The discussion question is, is how how would you handle these questions. How, would you hand, how do you handle the seeming contradiction that God is a God of love and mercy yet will allow eternal suffering? How could a loving God send people to an eternal torture chamber? I want you to know, Missy O'Day does believe in hell, and I'll tell you why. Because um, when we, before we even launched as a church, we got together for months and we wrote our values, our core values, we wrote our um, our vision statement, our mission statement, and we spent months just smithing these things and trying to figure it out, and we came up with nine core values, nine. And do you know that within the nine, hell made it in there (laughs) as a core value? And not only that, but it made it in as number one. If you open up what are our core values on our website, the first word you see is hell. Interesting, isn't it? Why? Well, because missio dei means the mission of God. It means that God is a missionary. He's on a mission to save people. In fact, Jesus said it this way, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so that begs the question, what is he saving us from? And what is he sending us on a mission to do? Who, what are we saving them from? And the answer, I think, is hell, judgment, damnation, whatever it is, We haven't answered that question yet, but whatever it is, God's on a mission to save us from that, and we are on that same mission. Here's what our core value says, and I want you to know, we we, we chose these words very intentionally. It says, hell no, Jesus, yes. Like I said, we, we spent a lot of time wordsmithing this so that it would be very clear. We started with the word hell, but we end with the word grace. Do you see that? It says, hell, no, Jesus, yes. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a sense of urgency to seek those who are far from God. Hell gives us that sense of urgency, doesn't it? Judgment gives us that sense of urgency. We want everything that we do to reflect the character in, of Christ and direct people to his love and his grace because we want to show them, we want to be the aroma of Christ to them so that they will not... End up in whatever this place called hell is, but instead they'll experience Christ. So say no to hell, say yes to Jesus. I thought that was interesting to share as we move forward because this is a difficult question, but we, whether we knew or met to or not, started off this church by saying hell's important, especially if you're a missionary God and you're saving people from something. It might be hell. So what I want to do tonight is this Um, I'm not going to be able to answer this question, right? I've got 20 minutes left. Come on, you know I can't do that. We've been wrestling with this question for 3,000 years, honestly. You think that I'm going to tie a bow around this in 20 minutes? So instead, what I decided to do was I want to spend the rest of this evening laying down some groundwork, laying down some historical um, views, laying down a couple of scriptures, and looking at those things, having a couple more dialogues, maybe even fielding a few questions, and then send you on your way, and we'll do part two next week. And I actually, as I was praying about that this week, I decided I'm, that I'm doing this intentionally, um, not just because I need more time to deal with the issue, but because I really, truly want this series to be about culture. And so I'm begging you to take these next two weeks to dialogue about these things with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors. I mean, just, just have a conversation about it. Ask them what they think. I'm also giving you a couple of weeks to research and to study to, and to t- discuss it in our missional community groups. So let's look at some of the historical perspectives. If you take hell, the way it looks historically, you can break it into four camps. Uh, the first camp is the classical camp or the traditional camp, um, and there and that's what most people believe about hell um, historically and, and even now. Um, the classical view of hell is that it's eternal, it's conscience, and it's torment, just like the Bible says. It's eternally, forever, it is conscious, you are aware of it, and it hurts. Um, Then there's the purgatorial view, and that view is also called the second chance view, um, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And then there's universalism. Universalism is really popular today. Rob Bell is a universalist, um, and the universalist view believes that God is going to overcome all evil, or love will overcome all evil, or love will win, which is the title of Rob Bell's book. It's clear as a bell (laughs) that Rob Bell is a universalist. And then there's the annihilationism view, um, which is the opposite of universalism in a sense. Universalism overcomes all evil and brings them all to heaven. So in the end, God's going to, love's going to win. They're all go to heaven. That's universalism. Annihilism says in the end, God's going to destroy all evil. So they're all just going to be destroyed. They'll be dead. They'll be gone. So real quickly, I want you to know that within all four of these different uh, views, there are a plethora of camps. <laughs> so even within a view, there's multiple views. So I've put the two major ones below it. I don't know if you can read that on the screen or not. Yeah, I guess you can. Um, The the classical view has two major views, and that is the literal view or the metaphorical view. I've heard both views presented tonight so far in our discussion. The literal view is it's fire, it's sulfur, it's brimstone, it's burning, it's hurting. (laughs) That's, That's the literal view. If the Bible says fire, it means fire. If the Bible says forever, it means forever. That's the literalist view. Metaphorical view is more like... Not really fire. You can't really have fire in outer darkness, right? Those two don't go together. Fire brings light. So it can't be literal. So therefore, this is the hell is locked on the inside view. Um, we put ourselves there. We can get out if we really wanted to, but we're, we don't really want to. And so we're kind of trapped in our own hell, um, which is uh, you know, separation from God view. And this is C.S. Lewis has made this view probably the most common view amongst thinking evangelicals. <laughs> In the purgatorial view, there's actually two camps or more. Um, um, the two major camps are obviously the Catholic camp. They, their purgatorial view is you, you, you pay off your sin until you're done, and then you go to heaven. Um, we don't believe that. Protestants would never believe in the Catholic purgatory because it just it destroys justification. The, God, the doctrine of justification is we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It is finished. We don't have to do any extra work or burn off extra calories in purgatory. Um, Jesus has done it all. <laughs> But there is an evangelical purgatorial view. There are evangelicals in a purgatorial view that says that maybe Hades is different than hell, and maybe when we die, we go to Hades, or, or wicked, will go to Hades, and then when Jesus comes back to reign during the millennium, you know, during the, after Armageddon, he'll give them all a second chance, and they'll have another opportunity. That's what they believe. Universalism has two views. I think this is interesting. So universalism means all, doesn't it? The word all, universal means all. But there's two camps, at least, in universalism. And one camp is that everyone's going to go to heaven. Everyone's going to make it. But then the other view is almost everyone is going to make it. (laughs) There's a few people who just aren't going to make it. You know, like you said, um, Ted Bundy or... um, (laughs) Uh, you know, just anyone who broke the cardinal sins or the unforgivable sins, you know, the really bad people, they're, they're never, they're, they can't make it, so there's still a hell for them, but most everyone's gonna, love's gonna win over most of And then lastly, annihilationism view, there's two views in there, but well, it's actually a plethora of different views, but the major view is it spans from either immediately you get annihilated, so if a wicked person dies, poof, they're gone, or There's, you know, how many years do you suffer in purgatory or hell or whatever until you, poof. God will decide if you, you know, your sins are worth 30 years, you'll burn for 30 and then poof. The annihilation view people actually have a lot of biblical support. I'll give you some examples. The verse that Jesus says, Do not fear the one who can kill the body, but fear the one who can destroy the body and soul in hell. They'll say, here we got one word, two different ways. Do not fear those who destroy the body, but fear those who destroy the body and soul. So that sounds like destroy, right? It doesn't sound like burn forever. It sounds like God's going to destroy. You've read verses in the Bible. This is called the second death. Well, death sounds like death, doesn't it? You die, then this is the second death. You die again forever this time. Uh, they've got lots of different biblical... It's an interesting view, actually, um, and it definitely is more charming than burning forever, isn't it? But I want you to see something. First of all, do you notice that even within these four camps, there's a bunch of different, various views within those camps? So let's say that you're a literalist or a classical view. You're still going to get in an argument with someone who believes that it's actually sulfur and fire. <laughs> or if you're a universalist, you're going to get in an argument with someone who thinks, "Dude, universal means all. You can't say most." <laughs> I mean, you're just not going to get along even in your own group. And I want you to see this, and I hope next time we meet, we'll be able to pick, pick more up on it, in fact. But none of the views solve the problem. Did you notice that? They solve some problems. Um, for instance, universalism does solve the problem that the classical view is hard to swallow. It solves that problem. There isn't a devil with a pitchfork and he's burning you in the butt forever, Universalism says, no, God is full of love and grace. It's the postmodern, you know, God is love. I like that. It solves that problem, but then it creates all kinds of new problems. I don't know if you noticed this. Even worse problems. For instance, if that's God, as Emily said earlier, then we have to ask serious questions about God's justice. Does God really serve justice? Is God really good if he's going to allow wicked people just to come in? Um, Or if if everyone gets to come in, then why did Jesus say the things that he said? And why are we on a mission in the first place? Why don't we all just go to Chick-fil-A right now? Or even worse, uh, well, here's what's interesting. Um, Time magazine did an interview with Rob Bell in 2011. And the author, I mean, the the writer, the journalist, John Meacham, he he came up with the same conclusion. He said, if Rob Bell is right, this is going to turn the whole world upside down. He says, from a traditional perspective, though, to take away hell is to leave the church without its most powerful sanction. If heaven is everyone's ultimate destination in any event then what's the incentive to confess Jesus as Lord in this life? What's the incentive for that? If, in other words, Gandhi is in heaven, then why bother with accepting Christ? We're all all going there. If you say the Bible doesn't really say what people say that it has said, then where does that stop? That's what this journalist is saying. I think this is interesting. If the verses about hell and judgment aren't literal, well, then what about the ones about adultery, say, or homosexuality? Taken to their logical conclusion, such questions could undermine much of conservative Christianity. I don't know if this uh, uh, journalist is a Christian or not, but he's making it clear that if Rob Bell is right, not only has he destroyed hell, but in doing so, he completely will eventually destroy Christianity. It's a slippery slope. You get rid of hell, you get rid of heaven. In fact, that is some of the other people's arguments as well. If hell isn't eternal, like the annihilationist view, then the same people say, well, then heaven isn't either. Because when the Bible says that hell is eternal, it says the same thing about heaven being eternal. And so if we take away the eternality of hell, then we've just also taken away. So the the point I'm trying to make is that none of these views solve all the problems. In fact, they create bigger problems that you don't see right off the bat. They might not be as an emotional problem to you in a postmodern world, but they are still big, hairy, ugly problems. So Timothy Keller says it like this: There's an ecological balance to scriptural truth that must not be disturbed. You see that? There's an ecological balance. He uses the illustration. Um, you, anyone in here hunters? You're a hunter, aren't you? The, the reason I never thought, when I was growing up, I would thought I would never kill Bambi. You know what I mean? That's just I could never do that. But it wasn't until I took a hunter's class that I realized, no, you better kill Bambi because if you don't, she's going to you know, produce a lot of babies and then there's going to be a bunch of deers running around in the woods and then they're going to jump in front of your car and kill you and your kids. So, the, so hunting is actually designed to keep in check deer population in, in certain areas. I mean, you need to shoot those things. And sometimes what we do in, in different cities and counties is we'll have problem animals. Oklahoma's got a bunch of wild pigs. Least, I don't know if they still do, but they did last summer. Um, or maybe there's a bunch of wild pack dogs running around out here in Warrington or something. And the, and, and the sheriff or the, or the county will say, you know, you'll get $100 for every head you bring in. We, we, we need to nip this problem in the bud, kill all those pack dogs. What we always find later is in killing the pack dogs, we get rid of them but then we create a different problem because those pack dogs actually existed to keep down certain other animal populations and now that those dogs are gone those animal populations are growing and those animal populations eat plants and now there's no plants and now the water is getting tainted you know and it just gets worse and worse there's an ecological balance and so the good and the bad kind of work together and so and so Keller goes on to say if we play down the bad or harsh doctrines within the historic Christian faith we will find to our shock, that we have gutted all of our pleasant and comfortable beliefs as well. To preach the good news, we must also preach the bad. So, hell is hard to swallow, but if we get rid of it, we create more problems that are equally hard to swallow. We'll talk about those again next week. So, the next discussion question I wanted to ask is, which of these views do you think seem most appealing to your culture? What I want you to do in that question is put yourself in the shoes of the people you work with, people you go to school with, people you know, the people in the culture out there. Which which of these views do you think is most appealing to them, and why? And then also, which seems more appealing to you, and why? Okay, so let's look at some Bible verses. uh, Let me say this: Let's look at some verses, and then we'll close. Um, It's often noted that by scholars that Jesus talked about hell more than anyone, and and it's true; he really does. Um, He's talked more than more than any prophet. And he talked more about hell than any other subject. If you take all the subjects that Jesus talked about, it's a lot about hell. In fact, a lot of his parables end in weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, hellfire, and and, and brimstone. So uh, let's see what Jesus has to say about hell. What I'm just going to do is read these verses for you. Um, There are thousands of verses in the Bible that I could read about hell. And obviously, I'm not going to spend the time doing that. I'm going to just give some of the main ones from the New Testament, I think. So here's a couple of them. And this is just going to be me reading um, verses. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell, Jesus said. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, that is of your eye or your arm, than the whole body be thrown into hell. Okay, there's Jesus talking about this place called hell again. Talking to the Pharisees, Jesus says, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Interesting stuff. Matthew 25, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is the one, if you've done it not to the least of these, you've done it not to me. He says, depart from me, you are sentenced to the place where the devil and his angels are with eternal fire. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, Revelation, um, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Um, When I was a kid, this song, this verse is what led to the song, Liars go to hell, liars go to hell, burn, 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 burn. Did you ever sing that song? Yeah. When I ask myself as I get older, it's like, why would they teach kids that song? You know what I mean? My son would come home in terror, you know what I mean? Because he knows he's going to burn, 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 because he's a liar. You know, all kids are liars. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. Here's, here's the eternality of it. These worshipers of the beast in its image and whoever receives the mark of his name. So they're going to be thrown into this place. The torment is going to go on forever and ever. They'll have no rest day or night. That sounds like eternity in that verse. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So you could look up some more verses over the next couple of weeks but hearing just those verses, I don't know about you, but it doesn't really matter what you can come up with. If you pick a view for the rest of your life when you have your quiet time and you read the Bible, you're going to bump into one of these verses and you're going to say, okay, well, uh, what am I going to do with that verse? Skip it. <laughs> Or reinterpret it, and some of those verses can be reinterpreted, I, I do believe. I mean, I, the, like I said before, the annihilationist view will take those verses and say, it just said second death. That sounds like death. And in fact, I've heard some good arguments from that from that point of view. So here's what I want to do. I just want to bring it, us back to Christ and take communion and, 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 and worship a little bit while we're here. Because in the end, um, this is a doctrine that's hard to swallow, isn't it? It is hard to swallow. And I'm not sure if it's ever going to not be hard to swallow, especially after reading those verses in light of discussing it. Oh, here's what happens to me. I'm researching this, and I'm hearing all these different camps, and I start to get a little hope and say, hey, I kind of like, I kind of think maybe I might be able to find some answers here. But then you go back and read the verses, and you say, oh, man. <laughs> this is hard to swallow. It really, Jesus said some hard things there. So I don't think it's ever really going to be easy to swallow. And then I got to thinking, well, maybe it's not supposed to be. I mean, isn't it supposed to be hard to swallow? <laughs> isn't hell and judgment supposed to be something hard to swallow? I think it is. And I'll say this. I think it was even hard for Jesus to swallow. And I mean it this way. I mean, Jesus is saying, I'm not going to swallow it. I'm not going to take it. We're not going to take it. You know? Jesus said, look, I'm not going to take it. I, I don't, this is too hard to swallow. I'm not going to swallow it. I'm going to do something about it. And I think Jesus did something about it don't you? Because in the end, when God does come, we're all in trouble, aren't we? We're guilty. (laughs) We're all guilty. And the ancients would say it like this, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appeareth? Who can stand? None of us. This is bad news. Very, very, very bad news. And so the good news is, is that Jesus did something about it. I don't believe that God likes hell. I don't believe that Jesus likes hell either. I believe that Jesus did something to solve the problem, whatever hell is. Whatever judgment is, we, don't, we, don't, we may not agree on what that is. Jesus still did something to solve the problem. I want to share a story with you that I think illustrates it well. It's from John uh, chapter 11. It's a story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This is uh, the story that I read when I do funerals, in fact. Um, I find it to be the most encouraging story in the Bible. I'll read it for you real quick and then just comment briefly on it, then we'll take communion. It says, And when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that you whatever you ask, God will give it to you. So Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Listen to how Martha responds. Yeah, I know. I know that he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, No, I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. Then, when she had finished saying that, she sent and she called for her sister, Mary. I want you to know this is the same Mary that was sitting at Jesus' feet when Martha was cooking and cleaning in the kitchen. This is the same Mary that washed Jesus' feet with her hair and her perfume. This is the emotional Mary. She said to her in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village. he was still standing out in the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him when the Jews who were with her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there, followed her. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him the same question, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and he saw the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The Greek word is a powerful word. He was deeply moved. That's why there's so many adjectives or, or verbs or whatever they are. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Commentators would say it's the word for agitated or ticked. He was angry. He was deeply moved and agitated. He saw Mary crying, Lord, if you, would have done, you could have done something about this. When Jesus saw that, he was... <clears throat> and then it says this. Where have you laid him? And I said to him, Lord, come and see. And what's known as the shortest verse in the Bible just says, Jesus wept. So The Jews said, do we see how much he loved him? But then some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something to keep him from dying? I think what's fascinating about this story is that Jesus is irritated. He's ticked. He's deeply moved. He's emotional about death. He hates it. The Bible says in in Psalms that God has placed eternity on our hearts, in our hearts, which means we were made to live forever. We were. We were made to live forever. And so we're not supposed to die. That's the truth. Death is the enemy. We're not supposed to die at all, period. We're supposed to live forever. But then sin entered into the world, and the wages of sin is death, and death comes in. And when Jesus sees it, he's irritated, he's agitated, he's deeply moved in his spirit, and he wants none of it. He says, I, don't, I, I came here to fix this problem, to get rid of sin and to get rid of death. And when he saw Lazarus' tomb, he wept. He's just crying. Would you contrast that person with the person of what we've just kind of portrayed of how can he be love and yet have this place where there's hell and there's fire and there's damnation? And, and, and to be honest, we haven't answered that question yet, I know. But let's just say that those two people are the same. God says, I know there's a place for punishment. I know there's a place for the wicked. But at the same time, I hate it. I created these people to live forever, and I want them to, and I'm going to do Something about it. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and he said, roll it away. And you know what he did? He raised Lazarus from the dead. And he said, again, I'm the resurrection. Anyone who believes in me will never die, but have everlasting life. So I don't know what hell will look like. I don't even really know what heaven will look like. But I do know this. I can talk boldly about this. I know that Jesus came to solve that problem. He solves it. So whatever answer, H.J., we can't give to our friends or our people in the culture, the one answer we do have is, I don't know. (laughs) But I do know this. Jesus hates death. He hates sin. He bore our sin. He died our death. And I believe what the Apostles Creed says. He went to hell. He did something, and he rose again so that we can all have eternal life, joy, heavenly something. And that's good news. So I thought we'd close tonight by taking communion, but before so, by saying the Apostles' Creed together. Something I grew up in the traditional church, standing up on weekends saying the Apostles' Creed, and then, I, and then I became a non-denominationalist, and we never did it again. So I thought we would stand and, and say the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church